there! Thanks for listening to the Elevate Christian Church podcast. We exist as a church to connect people with God and each other. Today's message comes to us from our lead minister and preacher, Kevin Barton. We hope this inspires you, grows you, and challenges you in your faith and your walk with Jesus. Enjoy! Uh, Today, uh, if you've been around here for a minute, you know that we are closing out a series that we have been in for 12 weeks entitled Rediscover Jesus. And for 12 weeks, we've been challenging you to rediscover who Jesus is with all that we've been through this past year. I want you to think about this. This time last year, we were all at home in our sweatpants uh, watching uh, our our online Easter service because uh, we were shut down. And so it has been a crazy uh, year. Uh, All these things that have gone on, COVID and death and sickness and riots and elections and politics and division, uh, I believe this has caused many of us to take our eyes off of Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. And it's time to fix our eyes on Jesus and lay those distractions down. And so uh, we are trying to rediscover that, uh, that Jesus means so much more to us than we could ever imagine. And through this series, we've looked at all kinds of things. We've reminded ourselves that Jesus is the light of the world, the, the light of life, the bronze serpent, the lamb of God, the bread of life, the living water, and on and on and on. Well, as we close this thing out today on Resurrection Sunday, uh, we're going to see that Jesus is the Lord of the grave. Uh, Today, we we will examine the fact that Jesus holds everything in his hands, including the power to arrest death itself. Now, I don't know some of you, I don't know what what your past is like. I'm not sure if anybody in here has ever been arrested or not. Um, I have not been arrested in my life, but three weeks ago, it almost happened. Um, I have been, my wife Lindy and I uh, have been looking at uh, trying to move out a little bit, uh, try, to, try to, to get out of the subdivision life, uh, find a little bit of uh, property. And so we've been looking and we found a, ha- a little farmhouse that we liked on a little plot of land that has a, a creek that kind of clips the corner. Uh, the, the, the house needs some work. And, and so we got our finances in order and got approval if we you know, wanted to buy that house. But it doesn't really quite fit us. But we like the land. And so I've been going back and forth uh, week after week uh, deciding whether or not we wanted to make an offer uh, on this property. Well, about three weeks ago, I had been to the house twice and already seen it. Um, I was having lunch with two of my really good friends. Uh, and while we were having lunch, um, I, I said to them, hey, I've got this property out here, and, and I would be interested in your opinion uh, on what you think about this property, if it's a good house, if it's a good piece of property. Um, and so uh, these guys are awesome. They were like, yeah, well, let's go look at it right now. And so we left lunch, and we, we drove out to, to Buckhannon Highway, uh, and, and this property, no one lives there now. And I, I just thought, you know, I don't need to call the realtor. I'll just show up, and uh, no one's going to bother us, and we'll just kind of give the place a once-over and look around. And so that's what we did. But uh, l- looking turned into lurking. 
Uh, we stayed way too long, and, and it wasn't just a, a look. It was a, let's see if we can get some of these windows open. Uh, maybe some of these doors are open. I've been in the house, but I wanted them to, like, like it was my property. Like I already own the place, okay? And so I even get a log out and, and pop up against the house so we can get up and see into the kitchen. Uh, and we are there way too long. What we didn't know is there were security cameras there. Okay, and so about an hour into this, I said, well, let's come sit on the front porch. I want you to get a feel for what it would be like. I would love to just come out and have coffee and not have any houses around. And, and we're just talking, chatting it up. All of a sudden, this black truck pulls in, followed by uh, a police officer. And I knew right then uh, we're in trouble. Like, we are in trouble. And the guy gets out of his truck, and as you can imagine, he's not happy. He wants to know what these three strange, you know, grown men are doing on his property, trying to get into the windows, looking around, and, and not leaving. I proceeded to tell him, hey, I'm interested in this property. I'm thinking about making an offer. I wanted to get these guys' opinions. And I'm embarrassed, right? I brought two of my church members with me, and I'm about to get arrested. You want people to follow Jesus, and you want them to follow your example, but not that way. And, and so... He is irate, he is upset, and all I could do was just sit there and, yeah, yeah, I know, I know, I, but I promise you, we're not trying to rob the place. Here's my name, uh, maybe you can call the realtor, and, and, and she can tell you that, you know, she can vouch for us, and uh, he wasn't really hearing it for a while, but he finally calmed down, and when he calmed down, the police officer started in on me. Okay, and the police officer, to be honest with you, kind of had a Barney Fife vibe with him. He's kind of a skinny older guy, um, probably carried one bullet around in his pocket, I don't know. But he proceeded to lecture me about him having to speed down Buckhannon Highway. And we put all these people's lives in danger because we didn't call the realtor. And I know this is all true. The only thing I'm sitting here thinking is these two guys are never coming back to my church. Right, like I, I, I could see my dear friend here on, on your right, Jesse, calling, I think he's on vacation this week, but calling his lovely wife, Becky, and saying, uh, I'm in jail. And her saying, well, how in the world did that happen? Well, it all started having lunch with Kevin, right? And, and so uh, I, I'm embarrassed. Finally, they call the realtor. And the guy says, uh-huh, yeah, oh, Kevin Barton? Okay, and he tells the police officer, hey, he's verified, um, and then the guy was real nice, but before that, I was absolutely sure that I was going to be arrested for trespassing. Well, what we're going to see this morning is that Jesus, in a very literal sense, has the power to arrest death. He has the power to capture and command death. He rules over it. Death listens to Jesus. It obeys him. He can fully apprehend it. And the reason is because Jesus is life. He brings life to everything he comes in contact with. John 1.4 says, In him, Jesus, was life, and the life was the light of men. So Jesus can bring that which is dead back to life. And that's exactly what we'll see this morning in the text when Jesus raises his dead friend Lazarus back to life. He's going to demonstrate to us 
that even the grave itself submits to the authority of Jesus, the Son of God. If you have your Bibles, we'll be in John chapter 11 this morning. John chapter 11, and we're going to be picking up in verse 1. It says, Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So Jesus is far away, he's out of town, so they send a messenger to him, verse 3. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, him who you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, here's what he said. This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now it's odd, because Jesus says this illness will not lead to death, but it's for God's glory. And I got to thinking about this. Who wants to face the worst day of their lives and hear somebody say, this is for God's glory? You're, you, this is going to be the, the most atrocious day for you. The, the worst thing possible is going to happen for you. But it's okay. This is for God's glory. There's not a person in here who probably wants to hear that. And neither, I believe, did Mary and Martha sitting beside their sick, dying brother Growing weaker, hour after hour, minute after minute, talking to each other, saying, where is Jesus? We sent a message to him days ago. He should be here by now. What's going on? Lazarus is slipping away. Where is he? He's, not, he's in another town. In the other town, Jesus is saying to the people listening to him, hey, the suffering of my dear friend Lazarus back in Bethany, what he's going through, there's a purpose behind it. In some way, in some form or fashion, because of this, God will be glorified. Look at verse 5. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So this was a family that was very, very close to Jesus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place he was. Okay, he was going to leave two days earlier, but he decided, you know what, my buddy's ill, I'm just going to hang out for two more days. Who does that? We would do the opposite, right? If Let's say you were out of town, you were at the beach, you're on vacation, and you get a text message or a phone call and says, hey, listen, your mom or your dad or this person that you love very much, they are ill. We have taken them to the ER. Circumstances are dire. The, the, I, we don't think they're going to, to make it. Most of us would jump on a plane that day, take the first flight out, and rush to our loved ones. Not many of us are going to say, you know what? Let's go down and talk to the manager and see if we can extend our stay for a couple more days. But this is exactly what Jesus does in the text. It's almost as, as if he knows something that nobody else knows. It's almost as if he knows that he has complete power and control over death itself. I love John chapter 11 because you can, you can feel the confidence of Jesus in the narrative itself. You can sense Jesus thinking to himself, hey, everything's going to be all right. They don't know it, but I know it. Everything's going to be okay. And everything was okay because Jesus is about to perform one of his most spectacular miracles. He will raise a man who has been in the ground dead 
for count them, one, two, three, four days. So he's not just dead, he's good and dead. And he's going to demonstrate to those watching then and to us today that he is Lord of everything, including the grave itself. So if you drop down to verse 17, after Jesus waits for two days, he finally makes it into town to minister to the family. We'll pick up uh, verse 17. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And many of the Jews had come to Mary and Martha to console them concerning their brother. Like, we do that today, right? If someone passes away, you may go visit them so you can hug their neck or, or bring them a, a, you know, a broccoli casserole or, or you know, the things that we do. That's what's going on. They're, they're consoling them because their brother died. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Okay, so let me tell you what's going on. He's been dead for four days. There's this Jewish custom called Shiva where you mourned for seven days. You didn't leave your house. You put the body in the tomb. You stayed at home and people came to you. Friends, relatives, neighbors, your community. They came to you to minister to you, to, to love on you. And so they had a house full of people. And someone had to stay. Mary stayed, and if you know anything about Mary and Martha, Mary was more of a people person, so it's probably good that she stayed. Martha went to find Jesus, but she wasn't going to just find him. She was actually going to confront Jesus. So Mary stays. Martha hears Jesus is in town, and here she goes. Verse 21, she catches up with him. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now, I think Martha feels that this is a legitimate issue here, right? Uh, she makes a statement, but it's more of a question. And it's a question that I'm sure all of us have asked God at one time or another during our lives. God, where were you? If you had only been here, if you had just shown up, things would be different. But where were you? God, where were you when my kid got sick? Where were you when my marriage came apart at the seam? Where were you when I was a kid being abused and no one showed up to help? Where were you in the midst of my depression and despair? Where were you when my loved one got COVID and died? Where were you when I seemingly lost everything? In those situations when you feel alone and you, you've, you've thought and prayed and even cried out loud, Lord, just get here. Just show up, please. Well, this is how Martha had been feeling. I think she's having a small crisis of faith. I think she's questioning Jesus a little bit. I thought you loved Lazarus, Jesus. I thought you loved this family. But here we are. Standing in the middle of a cemetery where my brother is now buried because you didn't show up. Where were you? Lazarus was gone, and I think some of Mary's or Martha's belief died with him. But friends, Jesus is the Lord of the grave. And he's about to show Martha and us that he can raise anything back to life. And so on this Resurrection Sunday, I want you to walk away understanding two simple things. Number one, 
Jesus longs to raise your belief to new life. And number two, Jesus longs to raise your body to a new life. So let's talk about that first one. Jesus longs to raise your belief to a new life. So in verse 21, Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, verse 22, I know whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, and I can see him just peering into her eyes, Martha, your brother will rise again. Notice her response. Yeah, yeah, I know. I know he'll rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Here's what she's saying. Yes, Jesus, I understand. I've been sitting under your teaching for years. I know on the last day we will all rise in Christ. I get that, but I'm talking about today. I miss my brother now. If you would have been here sooner. I know about this future resurrection, but that's not helping me now. Look at verse 25. Jesus said to her, hey, I am the resurrection and the life. And whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. Jesus says, I am the resurrection. And that's why we're here today. This is what Easter is all about. He is the resurrection. If we put our faith, hope, and trust in him, though we die, we shall live. Verse 26 And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And then look at the question he asks her. Martha, do you believe this? There it is. Jesus is about to resurrect her belief. Martha, do you believe I have the power to do this? I understand. I know you believe in the resurrection to come. But do you believe the resurrection is here now standing before you? Do you understand that I have the power to do anything? Do you get that I hold all things together? Do you understand that death listens to me, obeys me? And if I don't want someone to die, they won't die. And if I want someone to live, they will live because I am Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Martha, do you believe this? You see, he's reaffirming Martha. Because he knew she was in a tizzy when she got there, right? In the South, we would call that a good old-fashioned come apart. This is what Martha was doing. Finger wagging. If you had only been here, it's a moment of doubt for her. Man, he didn't even care enough to come when he heard. He knew my brother was suffering. He said he loved him, but he didn't come. And so Jesus is reaffirming her belief in him. If you study Jesus in any form or fashion, you understand he does this all the time, right? Remember Peter, the the apostle who denied Jesus three times when Jesus was arrested? And then Jesus laid in the tomb, after he was crucified, laid in the tomb. He specifically appeared to Peter to to reaffirm his belief. He didn't ask him if he believed. He asked him something just a a little bit different. He said, Peter, I understand you denied me, but do you still love me? He's reaffirming. This is exactly what it's doing to Martha. Do you believe? He's trying to resurrect her belief. Now she responds. I love the response, verse 27. She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. In other words, yes, Lord, I know who you are. I still believe you're the Son of God. And what I would like for you to understand um, is that Jesus is here this morning to resurrect our belief. 
He's asking all of us in some form or fashion uh, with some situations in our lives, hey, do you still believe in me? For some of you, he's asking, do you believe I can still resurrect this marriage? This cold, dead, unpassionate, stale, strife-filled, unromantic, dying, dead, dry-as-a-desert marriage. Do you believe I can still resurrect this marriage? I'm here to tell you this morning he can. For others, he might be asking, hey, do you believe I can resurrect your joy? Your depression has set in. You are frozen. You've been in despair. Joy has left the building and only darkness and sadness remain. Do you believe I can resurrect that joy? I'm here to tell you he can. Still others of you might be asking, he might be asking, do you believe I can resurrect your self-image? You're hurt. And it causes you to not like yourself, which causes you to not be able to love other people the right way. Do you understand that you are beautifully, wonderfully, and fearfully made? Do you get that I knit you together? Did you, do you get that I'm, you are created in my image and I can re resurrect that self-image? Or maybe he's asking some of you, do you believe I can resurrect your reputation? You did something 10, 20, 30 years ago and it follows you around. It's like chained to you and you think, are people ever going to forgive me? Will people ever forget this? Will they ever let this go? Is this how I'm going to be defined my whole life? When am I going to have my good name back? Jesus says, do you believe I can resurrect your reputation? I'm here to tell you he can, and he will if we let him. Or perhaps he's here asking you, do you believe I can resurrect you from the carnage caused by your addictions? They've had a strong hold on you slowly killing you, bleeding the life out of you? Do you believe that, that he can restore, reinstate, and resurrect you and make you whole, making you better than you were before? I'm here to tell you he can. Or maybe you're here today and you haven't been in church in a minute. And he's asking you, do you believe I can resurrect your faith? You once had this beautiful walk with Jesus. But time or circumstances have eroded that relationship away. Your trust in him has faltered. Do you believe he can resurrect that? He can. Do you believe that you were once dead in your sins and that Christ brought you back to life? I'm here to tell you he did. Ephesians 2, 4 and 5. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. It's by grace we've been saved. You see, we, we were dead. We were unbelievers. We were dead in our trespasses, but Christ resurrected our beliefs, and he can do it for anyone. He can pull the darkness from our eyes so we can see again. He can unbind us from our hurts, our habits, and our hang-ups so we can be whole again. He can replace our doubts, our fears, and our anxieties with boldness, confidence, and hope that only comes through the Son of God. Jesus longs to resurrect your belief in him, and here's why. Because if he resurrects our belief, then one day he'll be able to resurrect our bodies. Which leads to the second thing I want to talk about today. Jesus longs to raise your body from the dead. Jesus longs to raise your body to a new life. So let's fast forward in the text itself. 
Mary has finally joined Jesus and her sister. And this great host of people that were in her house come with her. And the disciples are there. So there's a, there's a lot of people standing around there. In the text itself, we won't read this, but Mary runs up to Jesus just like Martha did. And she says almost the exact same thing to him. Lord, you know if you had been here earlier, we wouldn't be having this problem. Lazarus wouldn't be dead. And Jesus looks around. And this is a scene where there's a lot of sad people. There's wailing and mourning. There's Mary and Martha and friends and family. And John in the text goes to great length to tell us that Jesus was deeply moved. He was actually brought to tears. He was struck to his core. He was filled with grief. And then verse 35, which is the easiest Bible verse in the world to memorize. Jesus wept. So I've, I've read this story a million times. And every time I get to this part of the text, I'm always struck with the same question. Why? Why did he weep? Why is Jesus crying here? Now, I've heard a lot of different explanations from men that are way smarter than me on this. Some say, well, he wept because he was sad for the family. Like, he was touched because he was seeing that death didn't only affect the person that died, but it, it just reverberated all throughout all these people, and he couldn't stand to watch the people he loved hurt, and so it brought him to tears because he was hurting for them. I heard another commentator say, well, no, he was sad for Lazarus. Because he had missed him. He's only been dead for four days, but he missed him. And he was sad because Lazarus had to die in the first place. I think these are viable explanations, but I'm not sure they exactly fit the narrative itself. So think about it. Why be sad? Because he's bringing Lazarus back to life. This family that's wailing and mourning are about to scream tear, are about to shed tears of joy and scream hallelujah. This great thing is going to be taking place. Everyone, including Jesus, are about to see Lazarus alive and well again. So it doesn't make a lot of sense to be filled with that kind of grief to weep. So why did he weep? Can I tell you what I think? I'm going to anyway. Um, you can file this under my opinion. I think Jesus wept because he was bringing Lazarus back. Back to this world. Back to a world filled with pain and strife. Back to die all over again. You see, Lazarus was a follower of Jesus. He has been in paradise, also called Abraham's bosom in the New Testament, for four days now. He doesn't have a trouble in the world. And Jesus was calling him back to this world to die again. And I think that caused Jesus great sadness. And so he wept. I think also that he wept because at that moment it caused Jesus to think about what he was going to go through just nine chapters later. He was, it caused him to think about his own tomb. It caused him to think about what he was going to have to go through to get to that tomb. So he wept. Well, after he weeps, he's still wrought with emotion. Jesus says, all right, well, take me to the tomb. Look at verse 38 and 39. Then Jesus, deeply moved again, closer he got to the tomb, he was moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, 
and a stone lay against it. We got to stop. I know we were going to go to verse 39. We got to stop for a minute. There's so much in this verse right there. A stone laid against it. Think about it. On one side of this stone was a dead, decaying man. There was absolutely no life in there. And on the very other side was Jesus, the life himself. But before Jesus would raise him from the dead, he wanted that stone removed. Can I just go ahead and tell you that is a picture of you and I? That is a picture of our heart. Our heart was once dead. It was like a stone. But Jesus rolled that cold, dead stone out of our hearts and replaced it with life. That's why the prophet Ezekiel says, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove, I will roll away that heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Friends, before Jesus can raise your body, he has to raise your belief. That stone has to be rolled away. And I don't know what that stone is for you. It's so many different things for so many different people. You know what it is and God knows what it is. He can roll that away. Look at verse 39. To me, it started, it's going to get a little humorous here. Jesus said, take away the stone. Well, Martha always has something to say. So she butts up against Jesus. Martha, the sister of Jesus. I'm sorry, let me start over. <laughs> Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha. The sister of the dead man, they're not even calling him Lazarus anymore, he's a dead man, said to him, Lord, you thinking about this? In four days, by this time, there will be an odor. I love how the King James reads verse 39. Look at it, it's going to come on the screen. Je Jesus said, take ye away the stone, Martha the sister of him who was dead said unto him, Lord, by this time he stinketh. <laughs> for he hath been dead for four days. I love that because that gives us a better picture, doesn't it? It, it paints a harsher picture, if you will. This is just not going to be some unpleasant little odor. No, Jesus, he stinketh. He's been in there for four days with no embalming fluid. You roll that stone away and the, the, this cemetery is going to be filled with the smell of death. And that's my brother in there. I don't want any part of that. Look at the response of Jesus in verse 40. Jesus said to her, it's almost like he's saying, have we not been over this before? Martha, did I not tell you that if you believed you would see the glory of God. Martha, I thought we'd been over this before. I just resurrected your belief. You said you believed, but you're asking questions again. Now Jesus is going to show his imminent power over death and over the grave. Verse 41. So they took the stone away. I can imagine when they did, everyone was going, they don't smell death. And Jesus lifted his eyes and said, he's praying to the Father, thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this on the account of the people standing around so that they may believe that you sent me. Here's essentially what he's praying. Abba, Dad, you know how this is going to end. I know how this is going to end. But I'm going to pray to you so that these people can see that you answer my prayers because it validates that I'm your son. So we're, we're doing this for, for their benefit. 
Verse 43, when he had said these things, he cried out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And I love what one commentator said. He said he had to use the name Lazarus because if he had stood in that cemetery and just said, come out, everybody would have rose from the dead and came out. That's how much power that Jesus has. So he specifies, no, no, not everybody, Lazarus. Come out. And I want you to just notice that. He tells him to come out. Why? Because tombs are for dead people. And Lazarus was very much alive. Verse 44. I love this. The man who died came out. His hands and feet were bound with linen strips. His face was wrapped in cloth. Okay, so literally, this is how he's coming out. You ever gotten caught in a sleeping bag and you couldn't get out? So, you know, it it had to be somewhat comical. And the first thing Jesus says is, unbind him and let him go. Again, we see the picture of us here. We are chained up by our sins. We are bound hand and foot. We're unable to move while our sins slowly drain the life out of us. It's like a death by a thousand cuts. But Jesus rolled the stone away from our heart and he calls for us to come out of that dead sin and he frees us. And when we are saved, he says directly to the devil, unbind him, unbind her because they are free. There, I mean, that is Lazarus. There he is, alive, not bounded up and well. And with just his words, In an instant, Jesus releases Lazarus from death. This is a picture, a foreshadow of what he will do for us. He will raise us, if we believe him, from the dead. Romans 8, 11. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. Now notice that, that first word. If. That's a big if. If you're saved, and not just because you come to church, because you are truly saved, you are a light-bearing, fruit-bearing witness for the Lord Jesus Christ. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. You see, friends, Jesus longs to raise your body from the dead. But before he can do that, he may need to raise your belief from the dead. And when your belief is resurrected, you can be sure to, you can be very certain that your body is following shortly thereafter. Paul writes to the Thessalonian church, For the Lord himself descended from the heaven with a a cry and a command, with the voice of an archangel and the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise. I want to take you back. I'm almost done here. I want to take you back to what Jesus says to Martha in verse 25. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection. It's one of the seven I am statements in the book of John. I am the resurrection and the life. So he tells Martha this, and then he turns around and proves it by raising her brother back to life. Did you know he would prove this again to Martha a second time on a, on a much bigger scale? when he would raise himself from the dead 
and leave his tomb empty, just like Lazarus' tomb. John gives us this account over in chapter 20 when Mary, a different Mary than we're talking about, Mary Magdalene, comes to the tomb. Let's read it. Picking up in verse 11. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. As she wept, she stopped to look into the tomb, or stooped to look in the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head, one at the feet. They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, this gets me every time. They have taken away my Lord. I don't know what they've done with him. I don't know where he is. I'm scared. I'm confused. I'm still processing all that's going on. And I just want to, I just want to give him a proper burial. They've taken away my Lord. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing. But she did not know it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be a gardener, she said, Sir, if you carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I will take him away. And then verse 16, I just love this. He'd been having a conversation with her. She didn't recognize him. And just by the way, he said her name. Mary. She knew. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, don't cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the the disciples, I have seen the Lord. You know, Jesus leaves the tomb empty because Jesus is the Lord of all things, including death itself. No grave in this world would be strong enough to ever contain Jesus. It reminds me of the story I heard of a man who was driving with his five-year-old son, and they went by a cemetery. It was on one of those days where they where they dug a grave for someone to come in and and they noticed this large pile of dirt and that little five-year-old boy, his eyes got as big as saucers and he looked at his dad and he said, Daddy, look! One of them got out. (laughs) The next time we drive past the cemetery, think of the one whom the grave could not hold. There's only one. His name is Jesus. Let him raise your belief to new life so he can raise your body to new life. He is the resurrection. He was killed on a cross on Friday, but he was raised from the dead by Sunday because he lives. Centuries ago, someone found some of Buddha's, the prophet Buddha's, they found some bone fragments from one of his fingers in his tomb. And someone collected those bone fragments and they sent them to the emperor of the Tang dynasty in China. Well, over the the centuries and the decades, those things were long forgotten. But there was this huge flood and these little bone fragments of Buddha were found. 
Well, they were displayed and they became a sensation to Buddhists everywhere. They were trying to go and view these little bone fragments from the finger of this great prophet, these relics. Did you know there are no relics like that from Jesus? There are no bones or fragments or body parts because he rose from the dead. There was nothing to salvage in his tomb because it was empty. He left the tomb alive then and he still lives today. So I want you to, as we wind this thing down, let, let, let's say you're walking down a dirt road. Okay, and you've been walking for a long time. And you reach a place in this dirt road where the road forks off, goes two different ways. And one way you know this is going to eventually lead me home and I'm going to be okay. But the other way it's going to lead me down a bad path. It's going to lead to my demise. It's going to lead to my destruction. And so you come to the fork in the road and you don't know what to do. Do do I take this way? Do I take that way? And so you look for a guide and you find two men. One is dead and the other is alive. Which of those two are you going to ask for directions? The living, right? That's why we don't follow Buddha because he's still in the tomb. That's why we don't follow Muhammad, because he's still in the tomb. That's why we don't follow Confucius, because he's still in the tomb. That's why we don't follow Joseph Smith, because he's still in the tomb. We don't follow dead men. We follow men that are alive and get us where we're going. And the only one that can do that is Jesus, because he's the only one that that defeated death itself. He is alive and well. And on this Easter Sunday... Before we go to Granny's and eat ham and deviled eggs, I want to invite you to let Jesus raise your belief to a new life so that one day he can raise your body to a new life. We hope you enjoyed listening to our podcast today. If you'd like to learn more about Elevate or partner with us in what God is doing here, check out our website at elevatecc.com. Until next time, God bless you and thanks again.